Welcome to Dragon Talk. Yeah! Yeah, 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 yeah. Woo, woo, woo. This is the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I am Greg Tito, and that's Shelly Mazenoble. Hello! Very excited to be here with you and yeah. to talk to our guest, Rufus our guest. Hound. This is going to be a good one. This is going to be a good one. He is a UK-based uh, theater performer, comedian, uh, TV personality, and recently D&D player uh, on Questing Time, uh, a, a, a amazing Twitch show uh, that is Dungeon Mastered by Paul Foxcroft, which you might have seen on the An D&D Twitch channel. amazing Dungeon Master, yes. Yes. Yes, and I hear he has a really good uh, origin story on how he uh, got into D&D. Yeah. And his experiences so far playing with it. So I'm excited to learn more about that. Yeah, that's always great to laugh. Hopefully he'll tell some funny jokes. I know. No pressure, no pressure. Just because he's a comedian, we should not expect that he's also going to be real funny. Because maybe he's like in his off time, he's like, that's not what I do. Yeah. He's like, I'm very serious. I'm dry. I'm a very serious person. And sometimes I get paid to make people laugh. Yeah. It's not my fault that people laugh at my antics. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm. I'm going to go into it with low expectations, but I really do hope he's as charming and funny as I think he is. Yeah, and who knows? Maybe he'll do that 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 thing where he's uh, you know going to be all uh, comedy and smiles, and then they're going to hit with the with the emotional weight, the emotional uh, really really hard. You know, well, not, well, like a good D and D game, we have no idea what's going to happen. That's true. That's true. It's it's really just up to the dice, I guess. Yeah, and fate. And the questions that you ask. And the questions that I ask. <laughs> um, speaking anyway, of questions, yeah. what's happening in Dungeons and Dragons land? Well, lots of things are happening. Um, we're getting uh, very close, uh, or I should say closer to uh, a new product, a new book coming out. Ooh. Perhaps you've heard of it. It's called Van Richten's Guide to Raven. Yes, it is. There are ravens and they are being lofty. They live in a loft, in a cool uh, Manhattan loft. It's a reality TV show about Find ravens. Find out when ravens stop <laughs> being nice and start getting real. <laughs> is that what a raven sounds like? We'll go with yes. What does a raven sound like? <laughs> like a crow? Or is it just a crow? I don't know. Or is I that the crow? Making assumptions here that because they kind of look like crows, they sound like crows. Well, that's not fair. <laughs> I don't know. Well, Raven Loft is uh, not about crows, as it turns out at all, uh, or the crow, or counting crows. It is about <laughs> or uh, eating crow. horror, uh, different themes of horror that are explained uh, in that book, How to Be Run in a Dungeons & Dragons setting, as well as tons of domains of dread out there. So many. That have different, uh, you know, uh, dark lords that provide different dark gifts to players within there. I want tons of, yeah, you want them all. Why are you whispering so much? When I I talk about Ravenloft, it's creepy. This is not creepy voice. Is that not appropriate for a podcast? (laughs) No, I just couldn't hear you. I'm like, (laughs) I feel like you got to do a stage whisper. I will do a stage whisper. Yes. All oh, the scary things. Um, I told you that I was playing uh, a Hexblood um, yeah. sorcerer, and that is a well a, a lineage in the uh, in Van the, Guide. Yes, 
And what, what were we just talking about? In Van Richten's Guide. It is so fun. Yeah? Do you like to leave fingernails still I everywhere? I rip off my fingernails. Yes. Um, fr- still freaking out players. But I think the ultimate compliment was in our last game, one of the other players said, I think I want to be a Hexblood. So, I mean, obviously, she was intrigued by what she was seeing over here in Hexblood land. Um, So now I'd like to start a little coven. I just want to, I would like to play in a party of all Hexbloods and we're just a coven and see what happens. Yeah. I want to be in your coven. Be in my coven. I would love that. (laughs) Do it. It seems so fun. Yes. So I do think that, so we were just playing in, um, one of the adventures in Candlekeep Mysteries, and I think now um, we may have convinced Bart to now take us to Ravenloft. Yeah. So, more to come on that. But nice. I love very that you're giving excited. us real-time updates on what's happening in this campaign and what people will be able to check out on May 18th when Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft would be in stores everywhere. There's an amazing uh, alt cover um, that is only available through game stores uh, on that date, but you can get it everywhere uh, on May 18th, and that's super cool. And you mentioned Candle Key Mysteries, which is out there right now. Yes. So there, don't wait. Out now. Rush out to now. your local game store or wherever you purchase your D&D books and get that 17 book. adventures, one-shots, uh, all involving some type of mystery element to solve by the players, uh, and a book. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you get to explore Candlekeep, which is really fun. Yeah. There's all sorts of good stuff there. Um, have you ever, as a DM or a player, encountered a carrionette? No, what's a carrionette? A creepy monster. Is it a, like a marionette, but it's but creepier? dead? creepier? Yeah. I feel like that uh, was in one of It's a pop creepy, the... yeah. <laughs> Wes told me about the carrionettes. <laughs> Wes Schneider does uh, describe horror in such a very fun and delightful way. Yeah, yeah, I think he was like, it's like a puppet that um, stabs you with a large silver needle like in your neck and steals your consciousness and then runs off with it. I have a memory of watching uh, uh, Channel 20, WTXX in, uh, in Connecticut, uh, and there was an advertisement for a horror movie, and it was a doll... That had oh, its own show, what? Uh, like a like a like a romper room style, like you know, howdy doody show. And then the doll was actually really evil and had like a unicorn horn kind oh, of like tool that was like stabbing. And I have this very distinct memory from like when I was six of watching this commercial oh, on no. WTXX and having to be like, I. And so I hate creepy dolls uh, for the, for that reason. And well, that's what I think of yeah. when I think of the carionette. Creepy dolls are definitely. They're just scary. Just dolls are scary with their little strange porcelain faces and those eyes that just stare at you. Yeah. No. Do not no. add that into my game. No. Or but, if you will, I will burn it with fire. But it's going to be fun though. If you do want to explore Ravenloft, you might encounter some of those. <laughs> Would I be a bad dungeon master if knowing that story you just told me, if I was your dungeon master, I was like, and then you see this doll with a unicorn horn coming after you. Is you, that a bad not necessarily. Thing? I think, uh, as as outlined in Van Richten's guide to Ravenloft on how to uh, push the envelope of these things, it's just having an open conversation. Like, what's you know, is that is that? I mean, me saying I'm creeped out by it means like, hey, I still would be entertained and have fun with it. But there are 
you know, distinct lines for some pieces of content when you're like, hey, I, I don't ever want to experience this because it's not just creepy, right. it's like traumatizing. Right. And so having those, those lines be clear uh, with being players and DMs, I think is the way to go. You do bring up a good point about Van Richten's Guide and that there, there are those tips in there. There's a whole uh, chapter in there about how to run horror safely because, because of exactly what we're talking about. Exactly. You it's can all push about boundaries, the, uh, but those you boundaries, but not too yeah, far. Can't cross them. No. For sure. Excellent. Um, but speaking of Wes Schneider, oh my I'm using God. that speaking of segue a little bit too much. I won't do it anymore. But speaking of not using that segue anymore, <laughs> I am uh, excited to uh, talk to Wes all about some lore around one of the domains of dread that I am particularly excited about. Oh, why are you excited about this? Well, we'll find out when we hear Wes talk about it. Soon we will all be excited Welcome to another Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and this is the segment where we jump into specific parts of Dungeons & Dragons lore for you to use in your game, or just because it's fun to know these things. I am joined by Wes Schneider. Hi, Wes. Hey, thanks for having me. We are going to be talking about uh, one of the domains of dread that is described in Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, which comes out on May 18th and is a compendium of all uh, ways to run horror using Dungeons and Dragons, and that includes different domains of dread. And this one is about Haslan, which is an interesting one because it's it's it encompasses so many different parts of, of of horror and Dungeons and Dragons. So, uh, Wes, why don't you give us kind of the overview of what's happening in Haslan? So one of the things that we wanted to do with all of the domains in Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft is we didn't want to just explore a type of horror or various types of horror. We really wanted to highlight D&D horror. Like, what are the horror stories that really only high fantasy, D&D, like the, the stories around your table, what are those stories that only, only you can tell at your, with RPGs like this? Um, so this is where the domain of Haslan came up. Because in the past, Haslan was a domain that was ruled over by the wizard Haslick. And Haslick is straight up from the Forgotten Realms. He's a red wizard of Fae. Um, oh. And he, he did things that were terrible even by red wizard standards and <laughs> managed to get himself a domain of dread pulled into Ravenloft and having an entire domain formed around him. That's a tough uh, thing to do to be able to <laughs> even piss off uh, uh, Sastam is, is hard. Yes, seriously. Um, so Haslick was always presented as an outcast, as an evil wizard, and then he got a domain that in the past was presented as it's a magical domain, there is a wizard in charge, wizard tyranny. Eh. And that was pretty much it, which fundamentally is a creepy thing. But with Van Richten's Guide, we really wanted to lean into that. What is the horror story that comes out of a wizard did it? What is the horror story that comes out of I'm a D&D player, I am reliant on magic, and it 
doesn't work right anymore, or it's not under my control, or even the entire environment is magical, and that has made it malicious in some mm. way. Creepy. So it's 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 kind of as if Raistlin didn't have uh, all that drama, right? Like it's just like, all right, here's evil wizard let loose and uh, playing with that. Absolutely. I mean, there's so many stories of like a moral wizard did it. Like, why is there an owl there? It was a wizard. <laughs> why did this thing happen? It was a wizard. This is this thrown into one domain and really taken up to eleven. All right. So, what is that? What does that look like when the players arrive on Haslan? It, <laughs> uh, it's a mess. Perfectly true. Like, perfectly honestly, um, everything that could magically have gone wrong in Haslan has. Um, so, this is a domain where, as soon as you look at the map for this, it is apparent even from just the map, just from looking at all the different places that things have gone real wrong here. Um, what are some examples? What's What's gone wrong? What did so, you see? Well, uh, we've got a few different things. We've got an entire edge of the map called the seething, which is literally falling apart. Like the world is crumbling into nothingness. Uh -huh. uh, there's in the middle of the map, a vast area where the mists have actually broken through the middle of the domain called the lacuna. And it is stretching out and encompassing or uh, devouring portions of the domain. There are giant sigils that have been created by wizards attempting to tap into the magic of the land that scar the landscape. And then there's just a ton of other things that shouldn't be here. An entire petrified forest, a section of the uh, caverns from deep underground that have been like literally cored up into like a mesa, uh, a plane where meteors crash regularly, bringing all measures of horrors with them, etc. Mm. Wow. All right. So I'm getting uh, some, <laughs> for, for, forgive the dated reference, but World of Warcraft Burning Crusade uh, kind of vibes in here, right? Where like the edges of the world are visible and, and distinct, but then also there's horrible things crashing in and uh, you know, wreaking havoc across it. This is one of the domains where so many of the domains of dread have this sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge, everything's normal here vibe to them. And the people are very much just like, yes, this is normal life. Things are fine. Um, that's not so much the case in Haslan. Um, in Haslan, since there is a high population of of wizards here, the pretty much ability to cast spells immediately puts you at a higher level than anybody who does not have the ability to cast spells. You have groups of immoral wizards that are encouraged by Haslick to plumb the depths of magic, to really like test the boundaries of what can be done, to explore all manner of amoral science and wizardry completely heedless of the ramifications and the ramifications are literally destroying the domain. Wow. Right. So it's got this element of, um, you know, kind of environmental hazards gone awry, right? So it's, you know, I wouldn't necessarily put films like Twister or, or other kind of disaster horror, uh, 
you know, in a D&D setting, but this is perfectly that, right? Like, that's like, here, we're, we're trying to figure out, and maybe even that's uh, a hook that Dungeon Masters can use for, for their player characters, is like, you need to go into Hasland and figure out what's happening and how to stop it and what's going on. You know, actually, Twister is a fantastic example because Twister brings with it the concept that it's the same hurricane, what killed my dad? And it like, <laughs> even growls and whatnot. Like, watch that movie again. It's just like, hold on, are you saying this hurt? Like, this tornado has a personality? That would be perfect for Haslam. <laughs> yes, yes. We'll, and we'll, we'll get Bill Paxton to star. It'll be great. Nice. <laughs> There's a cow. I, I think you mentioned a cow thing too, right? There's a, that's such a all right. Uh, so there, so the amoral wizards that you talked about are those uh, other visitors to this, or are those people who are just trapped in this domain uh, that are were similar to to Haslick? So Haslick has set up a whole majocracy where it's just like I'm a wizard, so wizards are better than everybody. And anyone who isn't a wizard, well, they're pretty much well, they're probably good for something. Let's find out what they're good for. Um, so you have this immediate, like bizarre stratification between um Haslick at the top as this this wizard overlord, all of his varied apprentices, who pretty much everybody who can cast magic um, is tied in with him, uh, whether as an apprentice or some other servant, um, which is not a great gig to have, but sure is better than living in these uh, these towns where there's not enough food, there's not enough water, they're being plagued by, you know, various monsters or like bizarre magical weather or other disasters. Um, and they're in the, uh, the wizard class here is encouraged to keep their overlord interested, to prove their value, and to compete with one another. And that's part of why the domain as, as a whole is suffering from these over-the-top disasters again and again, because you have this entire class of super-powered wizards who are trying to retain their status and their favor of the Dark Lord of the domain by being like, Look, I did a thing. That's what you wanted, right? You're interested, right? You don't, you think I'm valuable. So it's this whole system that perpetuates these disasters. And then people or visitors get caught in the middle. Or in some cases, if you're a wizard or a sorcerer or somebody with magical power that catches these wizards fancy, oh, you're like us. Come on, come on into our horrible society. So that's an interesting, that brings up an interesting thought for me, which is kind of throughout all of Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, it's like, who are the, 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 the people who live here? Are they actual people? Are they souls that have somehow been trapped in this afterlife-esque, you know, entrapment zone? Uh, or are, are they made up? Are they not even real? Are they just, you know, figments of the Dark Lord's imagination? So, the short answer to that is yes. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, the, the dark powers are very much in control of every aspect of reality here. And what the dark powers are, what their agendas are, what they're seeking to do, that's very much up to you as the DM. But the ultimate go goal is 
to tell a good horror story, to make it creepy and impactful. So we have a whole discussion about what are the dark powers, how can you use them, but then also the individuals in the domains of dread, are they just like are they just like the trees and the animals? Were they created by the dark powers? Um, are they actual individuals? Are they people that have been traumatized and are forced to live here and like get reincarnated again and again? Or are they visitors or in people from outside the domains of dread that are every much every bit as much real people as the player characters and whatnot? All of these are possibilities, and all of these are set up for. DMs to explore in the creepiest ways possible. So at no point are we like, 87% of people in this domain are like this, this, or this. Like, we don't get into that. We set that up for you to tell the story that feels creepiest for you and your group. I see. Um, so it's a little bit like, uh, here are the tools, tell the stories that you want to tell. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Um, and I think it's important for folks to realize that when you're talking about dark powers, you're not talking about the dark lords. The dark lords are the ones who aren't in charge of each one of these domains, but the dark powers is kind of this nebulous, evil entities. Yes, absolutely. All of the dark lords of Ravenloft are imprisoned within their domains, and their wardens are this mysterious cadre of powerful, sinister forces. And what their agendas are, entirely up to you. Like I said, we've got a, a lengthy discussion about how that can influence uh, the stories that you create uh, when you're playing in Ravenloft. But if one of those options is, if you don't want to engage with that, if you just want to focus on, here's my vampire story, here's my werewolf story, whatever have you, you can absolutely do that. Nice. Well, I think... Uh... <laughs> Maybe it's wrong to insert this, but I think the dark powers is like, you know, our, our conception of religion here in, 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 uh, in our world. So maybe, <laughs> maybe that's what this, that's, that this is all about is, uh, you know, just, I mean, I, I've been seeing a lot of D&D uh, uh, &D players online talk about like campaigns around killing God or having mm -hmm. this, this type of thing. And I, I don't know if that feels like having an overarching meta story about that while going to these different domains could be really, really interesting. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, Curse of Strahd is a perfect example where if you want to tell one story, make a whole campaign out of it and have it happen in one domain, these domains are rich enough to get an entire campaign or multiple campaigns worth of experience out of. But if you want to go globe trop, trotting, if you want to go to every one of the domains and reveal the deeper, really conspiracy behind it all, you can absolutely do that, and um, yeah, and maybe Hasland can be a part where you're, you're you're really investigating that meta nature, right? Because it's so magical and infused with you know making stuff up because it's magic, you know, and then you can see a little bit behind the curtain there, and and uh, you know understand who is actually really controlling who. Absolutely, and characters when you make that shift between oh, it's a creepy wizard to oh, all of reality is actually manipulated by these sinister forces that are malicious and are we're all puppets and all of that. That's quite a shift, <laughs> but it's, can be really exciting. Yes, what is that uh, uh, cabin in the woods? There, there it is. That's, that's mm -hmm. what you can play with with your, with, your, uh, with your horror stories here. Yeah, absolutely. There's a built-in meta-narrative. 
So, uh, so one last question on Hazlick because you know he seems like someone who could be a conduit for for storytelling about uh, other wizards and apprentices. There's lots of tropes around them taking over. You know, is there is there a political nature to what's happening in Hasland as well, where you can work with his various lieutenants and try to overthrow him as Dark Lord? Absolutely. You can definitely go that direction because Hazlick, one of his big elements is when he became Dark Lord, part of the way that the Dark Powers torment him, like every every Dark Lord is tormented by the Dark Powers in some ways. Like nobody's love and life as a Dark Lord in the Domains of Dread. Um, Haslin has had his magical ability stunted. Um, he can't learn new spells. He can't be the magical experimenter that he was that he was previously, and through some of his experiments, got ultimately won him a place in the domains of dread. Um, so he touts himself as the most powerful wizard in the domain, but his apprentices are constantly outstripping him. So he needs to pit them against each other to keep control of things. Hazlitt's other element is that the entire, he can, Hazlitt, as a red wizard of Thay, uh, is covered in tattoos. Mm. Um, and the dark powers have invested his tattoos with this magic that um, allows him to see through any other symbol that are like his tattoos. So it's a symbol called the Eye of Hazlick. And anybody in the domain that has this on, you know, an amulet or has it on a building or whatever have you, Hazlick can see through that. So Very there's good. a, exactly, there's this totalitarian element to it. But that also allows Hazlick to keep an eye on, all right, what are my apprentices doing? Like, what are the other people doing? Is there a better wizard in here? So in his paranoia, watches over the entire domain for rivals and either tries to edge them out, destroy them, or turn him to his side, pushing them to do further horrible things in his already suffering domain. I, I I like the, you know, 1984 Winston Smith kind of thing going on here too. Like that's super fun and creepy to play with as well. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I can't wait for more folks to get into uh, Haslan and all the other domains of dread we we're talking about here in Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft on May 18th. Uh, Wes, how can people get in touch with you? Maybe ask you some questions uh, about what's happening with uh, all these domains. Oh, sure. Um, you can also you can also find me on Twitter. I'm on there at F Wes Schneider. Um, yeah, feel free to give me a yell. And if I can say something, happy to talk more. Exciting. Awesome. Great. Well, I'm really, really interested in you creeping everyone out. So please only respond to people as a dark power uh, going forward if you can. <laughs> Easy. Duh. Already doing it. Not a problem. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you, Wes. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited to now speak to our guest, Rufus Hound. Yes. uh, And perhaps ask him, well, I don't know if we'll ask him about horror or not, but, you know, maybe we'll we'll have a pint with him. Oh, that would be lovely. (laughs) 
Welcome to Dragon Talk, Rufus Hound, everyone. Welcome. Yeah. Hooray! Hooray! Woo. Or, if you're American, who? Well, hey, <laughs> happy to be here. <laughs> Very excited. You have been uh, a, a, a stalwart in the British television scene for a long time, right? Is that uh, That's is that absolutely accurate? Right. Yep. Um, I, uh, I've spent the last 10 years generally doing things for money. Um, on television. Um, the question that largely gets asked in podcasts and the like is, um, you know, you, you're an actor, you're a presenter, you've been a stand-up comedian, uh, you host on Radio 4. Is there at any point likely to come a point where you actually choose what it is you do? And the answer to that is no, <laughs> not really. I just, I mean, I, I, it's a phrase I've used for most of my life. Um, but obviously on this podcast has an additional pertinence, is I just keep rolling the dice. Ah, It was meant to be. And, so and that was, is yeah. why we're talking to you, because you have been rolling the dice, not just figuratively, but uh, actually uh, over this last year as we've been in, in lockdown. Uh, so yeah, tell us, tell us when, when you started playing D&D and, and, and how that came about. Well, uh, Greg... Uh, and Shelley, I would just a bit of a steer from you here, if that's okay, because are we are we talking as if we imagine normal people are listening to this, mm. or do we accept that anybody listening to the Dungeons and Dragons podcast is already on our side? <laughs> because it would be so nice not to have to pitch this for, let's be honest, muggles. <laughs> uh, there are <laughs> there these are, are your people. Yes. There are so many times it seems to me, and bear in mind, I am a mug. I am a year, I'm year one of Hogwarts here. I am. <laughs> I, I, I'm still on the train. So compared with the uh, the listenership of this podcast, this esteemed yeah. podcast, no less. Um, yeah, I'm nowhere near it. But um, I the thing. So if you're listening from the wider world, just know that Dungeons and Dragons is great. Everything about it is great. It continues to be great. It is only moving to a position of being greater still. Now stop <laughs> listening. Are we done? Great. Yes, we're done Here's with the that thing. Part. Guys, I have been trying to play Dungeons & Dragons for years and I bought the books, I bought the kits. I had the uh, starter set, I think, when I was like 11 that I got from Sam Goody. Um, nice. You know, I remember like, Sam Goody. Yeah. And um, I have just always found it impossible. I, I lack the, the brain power or the, just the mindset, really, to be able to sit with those books and work out how to turn it into a game. Mm. So um, it was something that I really wanted to do when I was at school up until I was about 13. Then there were girls, then there was drinking, and then that lasted me basically until the start of the pandemic. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, uh, although in the years... So I like comic books, but the only reason I like comic books is that a lot of people that I liked liked comic books. Mm. Um, so in my early 20s, like Kevin Smith, I was like, this guy references comic books all the time. I should read more comic books. And then Simon Pegg, Edgar Wright, those guys, right? Yeah. And so where there are those moments in pop culture where you're like, oh, everyone seems to be talking about this thing. Let me get stuck into that. Um, so it was with D&D and about... Eight, nine years ago, I started asking around on the British comedy circuit, does anybody play D&D? &D? Um, and 
you know, people not really coming forward. And then I found one or two who did. So I rang them and I said, hey, look, I would love to play d and I would love to get involved. Um, can you let me know when your game is and maybe I could swing, swing by? And he, no. <laughs> so, what are you on about? No. He's like, no, no, we're right in the middle of something here. It's like, <laughs> oh, okay. So then, you know, a couple more months go around and I keep asking about the place. And then, uh, Wait, so they were in the middle of a campaign and they didn't, they were like, we can't invite you it, now. Wow. They didn't that even want it. to schedule a one shot. Not even like let you be it. an NPC or something. Just now I no. know. Now I understand what they were getting at. But from my mind, I'm like, it's like playing darts, right? Or snooker or a game of pool. Like, you play every week. You tell me where you play. I'll turn up and then I'll play too. Yeah. And and so, essentially, for the last however many years it was, I've been trying to find a way into getting to play D&D and just nothing ever came good. And then uh, I, I used to be on a British TV show called Argumental in which two team captains are given a subject to argue about, and uh, they, it might not be something they agree with, but they just have to take uh, opposing views and then argue it out. And the guy that I was on that show with um, was a man called Marcus Brigstock, who got married a couple of years ago. Um, this will become relevant again in one moment, because I have to go <laughs> slightly further back from that to say that I have a son who is 13 years old, and who, by this point, him and his mates had become just absolutely like cultish love of uh, Stranger Things. So Hasbro released the Stranger Things D&D set. Me and my son are in a bookstore. He sees the set on the shelf. He's like, Dad, let's buy that and let's you and me sit down and play D&D. I'm like, son, it's been a long time since I looked (laughs) at these sets I'm sure I'm smarter now than I was when I was 11. How hard can it be? Consider it done. Uh, Anyway, a couple of weeks after that, I go to Marcus Brigstock's wedding where I sit next to a man called Paul Foxcroft. Uh Um, And Paul Foxcroft is a DM in this country and runs a live comedy event where comedians play D&D called Questing Time. And I do not know this about Paul Foxcroft at that point. I'm just sat next to a guy at a wedding. <laughs> and then with us all, you know, we're on the, one of those tables where it's all people who don't quite know each other, but maybe should probably get along-ish. You know, like there's that table where they all know each other because they all went to Bali together. And then there's <laughs> that table where they were all, you know, they were the founding members of the new skydiving society at university. <laughs> And then there's like the other table where it's like, well, they don't know each other and they don't know each other. We'll just put them all in one table. They're funny so, people. They'll love it. Yeah. Yeah. They'll get on. How hard can it be? They're used to improv. Yes, and? Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so we're all making kind of polite wedding small talk. And, you know, oh, you know, how did you get here? Yeah, you know, a hybrid is a good idea. Well, you know, we should all be going back to, oh, oh very good. Uh, bride and groom, very good. And then off-handed Paul just goes, yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I run and write D&D sets. And I'm just like, stop, wait, fuck, ha, I've been reading the, the um, Stranger Things star set and I thought I would be able to get the hang of it by now. And I'm a 41-year-old man and I do not know how to do this. <laughs> I, I am so out of my depth. Listen, for years I have been trying to play D&D. What if I pay you? Could you come to my house, run the D&D starter set, um, for Stranger Things for my son and his friends and me 
and then I'll play in that game, and then maybe by the end of that, I'll have worked out how to play D&D, and um, away we go. Anyway, we spent about six hours doing it, and oh. we're only about three quarters of the way through. Nice. Paul says, don't worry, I'll come back another time. But at that point, I then get another theatre job, so I'm away from home, and then I'm back, and one thing and another. We never pick up the last bit. I think, in fact, it might have been the November... Yeah, maybe it was in the November and then the pandemic was started the following month. Right so then. I was away mm. and whatever. But essentially, when the pandemic hit, I phoned Paul, like, probably within a few days. I think I'd seen him tweeting, like, oh, my God, everything I do to earn a living just disappeared. What do I do now? Right. And at that point, I probably felt a little bit more front-footed than I do by this point in the global pandemic <laughs> because I'm like, ah, you know, people are making things. I'll just join in on whatever anybody's doing. If people need me, like, yeah, I'll be a guest on your podcast. Yeah, I'll come and do this. Like, whatever it is, like, put good vibes out there. And so it was that I said to Paul, within a couple of days of the lockdown in this country being called, if you do an online D&D thing, I want in. Um, because of working nights, when normal people play D&D in their leisure time, I'm at work. Right. So I've, there's never been that chance to be in on a regular game. And I'm like on the phone to Paul going, I could be part of a campaign. Like, I never got to play. Then I got to play it once and we never finished. But <laughs> like, if you're going to do a thing, like, I, oh my God, how am I actually going to be able to play D&D? And he said, well, I'm thinking about that. I might do that. I might do a bunch of different things. Within a week, he phoned back and said, yeah, okay, you're on. We're going to do Saturday nights seven o'clock and we're going to stream the whole thing on Twitch. I'm like, mate, I'm so excited. Can't wait. Who else is playing? He said the names weren't people I knew, but I don't care. I just want to play. And that, that series of events getting me to the point where I was on the phone in the pandemic, finding out that we were going to play a campaign with a bunch of people I didn't know changed my whole life. Wow. So That's a big statement. That is a really big statement. Um, it's a big but, statement, but, kids. But you know something? People listening to this already like, yeah, I've heard this story before. And it, it feels so unique to me because it's my story in my head and I'm not enmeshed in D&D culture and the fandom and the, the wider world of D&D. But uh, yeah, the, essentially, the reason I am now here in your presence is that the guys who uh, look after D&D in the UK heard me tell this story on another mm. podcast <laughs> with a very low listenership. It's about craft beer. Um, <laughs> My other favorite thing. Well, I will point you in the direction you can hear yes. this story again. I would um, love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, uh, I told this story uh, on, on another podcast and D&D UK said... Oh, we need to uh, we need to get you on the official D and D podcast. If you're going to tell that story about D and D, then uh, we need to point you at Greg and Shelley. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And what was it about uh, you know playing uh, weekly with with Paul that that changed your life? I mean, what what was the 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 type of activity that like you know allowed you to do uh, and have this expansion of, of of life possibilities, especially when we're all in the same space? Um. So what, because I hadn't really played D&D before, 
when Paul said he was going to run this campaign, he was like, uh, I'm putting together like a classic adventuring party. So for you, I'm thinking like maybe a dwarf, a barbarian. Basically, you're the guy that just runs in at any fight and just starts smacking people. I'm like, I've not played D&D before. This sounds as straightforward as I can cope with. Run at bad guy, hit bad guy, you're on. Yeah. So I didn't pick um, race. I didn't pick class. Like, you know, it was literally Paul saying, just come and play this part. You know, I'm an actor by trade. So somebody says, this is the part. I'm like, great, I'll play that. You know, no real feeling about it. And we came up with a... um, a name for him, like a classic, you know, it's, it's comedy Dungeons and Dragons questing time. So uh, we came up with a funny name for him. He was called The Rough Knight. Um, and he was, you know, classic dwarf, drank too much, but he's uh, been um, uh, pushed out from uh, Mithril Hall. Um, and, his, and his family, his tribe, of course, it's like a, a wound that won't heal for a dwarf. Um, so he's like a, just this raging alcoholic, really, who doesn't even want to be part of an adventuring party and is just like every time they're talking and, it, and it's my turn to speak on the Twitch call, I'm like, uh, Ruff looks at his hands and makes this noise. Uh. <laughs> and that was, really, <laughs> that was really who this character was. So, so there's the Rough Knight, and obviously that's a long... So that gets shortened to Ruff, essentially. So I'm playing this guy, Ruff who uh, isn't, is basically um, not really dealing with uh, trauma and pain and is instead drinking. And when people nicer than him are around him, he largely just grunts and ignores them and tries to just get through to whatever yeah. gets him to the pub next. So then lockdown, right? Lockdown is a tricky time for a lot of people, but my wife and I had not been getting on for a while. And... Um, as I think is true for a lot of people, this won't be a unique tale for many, I'm sure. But lockdown for some marriages was the making of them. It gave them the time to spend with each other, to remember the fire that raged between them and to not have the distractions of the world get in the way. And for other people, they realized actually spending time with one another, (laughs) oh, the time we spend apart isn't the problem. (laughs) The problem is (laughs) the being together. That seems to be where this really falls down. so, was she in support of you playing D&D too? Like, was that uh, part of it? At, at that stage, I think she was in support of my doing anything other than just staring at the ceiling, <laughs> screaming. <laughs> When's it all going to end? <laughs> um, uh, but, so about six weeks after lockdown started, uh, my wife and I made the decision, like, you know, we need to call this a day. It's, uh, we, 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 we'd known for a long time things weren't great. And then because of my job, I'm away a lot. And then suddenly I was present all the time. And that shift was more than enough to um, convince the pair of us that whatever we were, um, husband and wife shouldn't necessarily feature on that list. Parents to amazing kids, friends, you know, people invested in not making anybody else's life awful. Yes, all of that. But married, not a good look for us, it turned out. So, by that point, I'd started playing D and D, and you know, was keeping it was keeping it going and, and, and what have you. And uh, about four months go past. So we're playing D and D every week, and you know, my situation is that having split with my wife, the rules in this country were that if you um, 
if you like had separated or you were divorced or whatever, you know, you could change, switch your bubble up. Or if you had kids and you had shared custody, you could go backwards and forwards, blah, blah. The long and the short of it is, I basically end up in, in my friend's shed living half the week and then here in this house the other half of the week. He had a very nice shed, by the way. Um, I'm, I'm making it sound like it's four Harry stars. Potter, yeah, exactly, under the stairs kind of dude. But this is, imagine this lovely, large, you know, kind of tennis court-sized oh. um, barn with a little mezzanine with a bed in it and a fridge. It was Sounds funny. really it was, nice. Oh, yeah. It was heavenly. Right down on the coast, glorious. And, and the summer and all sorts. But what it meant was that I spent half the week with no responsibilities because I'm not at home and with my family or whatever. So I just drank because I'm I, one of the things, I don't know if you're familiar with English people, but we're <laughs> really good at it. I mean, really good. Uh, with the best will in the world, Americans listening to this, you might think you're good at drinking, but two drinks in, people are pushing the number of their therapist at you. Whereas in this country, that's only the point where we start pulling you closer towards us. <laughs> we have a drinking culture. And I am sensational at it. I know some of this video gets taken. You may be lucky enough to see this. But this is the silhouette of a man who is not afraid of beer. <laughs> I mean, look at that. That's the most expensive thing I own. Um, and you've been, you've been uh, crafting it for, for many decades. That's it. It's, yes. uh, it's curated. Yeah. Um, <laughs> My fat cells are uh, from various different parts of the alcohol spectrum. <laughs> That's it. And now you realize why I was on the Craft Beer Podcast. Yes. Um, so, so I'm basically spending a lot of my time uh, drinking, waiting for the pandemic to be over, and then uh, for a few hours a week, pretending to be somebody totally different, totally else. And it's the escapism, right? It's the escape. Because here we are all locked down and we can't do anything. We can't go anywhere. But once a week for a few hours, I'm fighting beholders. I'm, you know, dealing with gelatinous cubes. I'm problem solving. And these people that I don't know that I'm playing alongside, what do you know? After a while, we start, we, the WhatsApp's fires up and now we're like checking in with each other and the Twitch stream, they're, they're like a whole community of people now that have their own Discord and now we're doing things with them. And um, like there's genuine like excitement when these things uh, happen and the chat lights up. And now we're in a world where four months, you know, five, six months ago, whatever it was, had never played a campaign of D&D. &D, and mm -hmm. now I'm in one where people are sending us fan art and uh, like writing their own song parodies. And, you know, it's just like so phenomenal. But even so, I'm still just playing it as a game, right? Yeah. And then, dun, dun, dun. There comes a point in this campaign where it was meant to all be fairly straightforward. I may have accidentally put a bag of holding over a portal, meaning that Paul had to park everything he'd written for our campaign and instead generate an entirely new thing where we had to do plane traveling, except none of us knew the plane we were from. So first thought of call was we had to find out what plane we were on or from and then how to get back there. So that basically Paul had written a very nice campaign, which immediately got parked in favor of something else. <laughs> and we end up in Sigil um, and we find a tattoo parlor. Now I'm, I'm not short of a few 
tattoos. I'm not going to take my top off for you, but <laughs> arms, chest, <laughs> you know, it's all there. Because we were asking, right? That's what we were right. Doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, yeah. you don't know how this podcast works. <laughs> well, I was, uh, I was assuming the whole podcast is a facade for you two just to perv just at a, me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You already showed us that profile. Now it's That's like, it, mm-hmm. yeah. Hey, I wonder if there are some tattoos on that party barrel you were thinking. That's my line. It works every time. <laughs> what do you say we pour off the foam, big boy? Something like, I don't know. Um, anyway. <laughs> um, Paul says, uh, yeah, I was thinking um, somebody's written an expansion or I've read a thing where there's like tattoos now in D&D. I think it'd be cool if you got tattoos. I'm like, mate, don't have to tell me twice. So we go to this magic tattoo parlor and the way it works is that you don't pick the tattoo you want. You talk to this weird tattoo artist. I, mean, I don't know what kind of creature he was, but he, he sort of spoke in emojis mm. um, was, the, was the thing. And we basically had to, to work out from what he was saying and the emojis and whatnot, what he was getting at. And it was that the price for each tattoo was different depending on who you were and you didn't pick. You just said you wanted a tattoo and you got what you got. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, we're a comedy D&D show, right? So, like, these kind of consequences, it's like, what's the worst that can happen? This this is only going to be funny. So, the first person in our party gets their tattoo and I forget exactly what their tattoo does. But I I think it may have made them... They'd had a lot of trouble with a cursed cleaver. So I think it may have made them slightly more immune to curses. That was definitely a thing that they were really up for. The second guy, very long story, very funny, the way it all come about, but basically ends up with a tattoo where he can turn at will into a goose. (laughs) Uh, If if you'd watched hours and hours of us playing D&D by this point, it made perfect, hilarious sense. But uh, yeah, he he turns into a goose. That's a callback. And then... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yo, and how? <laughs> um, and then um, I sit down in the chair, or my character sits down in the chair, and uh, this little kind of tattoo artist thing, creature, person, um, uh, I say to them, how much? Or, or what's it going to cost? And this creature says, all of your pain and regret... Oh, no, your pain and regret. So I had 300 gold coins ready to go. (laughs) But this is now not going to cut the mustard. So I'm like, my pain and regret. And this tattoo artist says, yes, how much? So my character leaves the tattoo parlor at this stage and goes and sits outside while the fourth member of our party sits down in the chair. And I walked back into that tattoo parlor and sit down in the chair again. And the tattoo artist goes, so how much? And I said, all of it. And the chat (laughs) on our Twitch stream just goes absolutely nuts. The other players go absolutely nuts. And our DM goes nuts. They're literally all going, what? All No, 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 no. No, think this through. Like, what's that going to change? That's You're going to end up with a character now who's like totally different. This guy, like... If you have all of that go, then who is this guy? But I'm not playing it from any... I have never played D&D from any point of view other than what is true for this person. Mm -hmm. As an actor, 
That is what you do. You get the script. Who are they? How does their mind work? What is true for them? And then you just play what is true. So it never crossed my mind at any point that the rough knight being given the chance to absent himself of all of this pain and regret wouldn't take it. Yeah. And so did. And then uh, my eyes, uh, rough's eyes close. There's a buzzing around. And when, uh, when the rough knight's eyes open again, he has this war hammer tattooed on his chest. And our GM, uh, our DM says, um, and it's a hammer you recognize, it's Whelm. And now, as me, as Rufus, I don't know what Whelm is. Now, I think Whelm is a funny hammer in Acquisitions Incorporated. Right? I think so. So I think that was what Paul was giving me. But <laughs> here's what happens. I then, as the game finishes... Oh, uh, so th- for the rest of the game, like, Ruff's just in a total, like, blank. And the game finishes, and I'm like, right, I need to really find out why, what, what's going to change for this guy. And I spend the rest of that, w- or the next few days, reading about dwarven culture and finding out about Whelm. And Whelm was a hammer built by dwarves to protect them that was stolen by a vampiric dwarf and used to kill the dwarves that made the hammer. So the hammer has killed its creators. And the hammer has regret. So I'm like, oh, wow. This is incredible. So Ruff paid for this thing with his pain and regret, and now he has the hammer that itself is full of regret. Oh, this all works out perfectly. Now I just need to be able to explain to my fellow, um, cam- you know, my fellow adventurers why this means so much. Well, how did primitive people used to do histories? Why do we know about Robin Hood? Why do we know about King Arthur? Well, they were verbal histories, right? They were... Tell the stories. Songs and odes and, and the like. Yeah. I know what I need to do. I need to write an ode. So I wrote an ode, the Ode of Whelm. And then I got to the end of writing the Ode of Whelm and realized I hadn't written an ode. I'd written a song. Right? Now, yeah. uh, it's just going to take me one moment here. You've got the song. Are we going to hear the song? Uh, I, will, I will send you a link to the... Uh, I will send you a link uh, to the actual song itself. Um, and, and you can listen to it. But I'm... I just wanted to pull up the lyrics for one second. Um, yeah. And so, I hope you sing it as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing, right? So, how does Ruff relate the idea that, that to, to lose your pain and to lose your regret is to accept that who you are or who you were yesterday doesn't need to be who you are today, doesn't need to be who you are tomorrow. That we basically, nobody asks to be born, you get what you're given, you make the best of it, and if that's not good enough or, or, you're, or you have regrets, that's okay, but then you set about changing them and you set about making, atoning for them, right? Yeah. <laughs> so this was the song that Ruff remembers about a uh, rough, a fictional character writes about a fictional hammer to explain to other fictional characters um, 
what this uh, what this hammer means. And the song's lyrics are: "Forged were we, she and he, it and them and they, and now do we mortal be, who never had a say, a fire born from nothing, torn and screaming from the first, are, be- are from that morn all being sworn." to mitigate the curse. The hammer that you hold, with flame and anvil made, is neither tool nor weapon at the start. Whether to be bold, to love or be afraid, is decided as the bellows goad the forge inside your heart. Nice. Deep. Yeah. There are some more verses, and there's a bridge and all sorts, right? But I finish writing uh, that, and I'm like, yeah, it's a song. And not only is it a song, it's a song that would really make sense to be sung by this guy that I happen to know, John Smith. John Smith's one of the um, one of Britain's premier folk singer-songwriters. He had a new album come out uh, as we record this, um, uh, which I could not more stiffly urge you to seek out. He is sensational. Uh, a voice like buttered diamonds you know it's gorgeous (laughs) um so i get hold of john smith i say to him john it's a lockdown no one's doing anything i'm sure you're not busy i don't suppose you fancy turning this poem into a song for me he says rufus old son i'm literally about to record my new album in a studio next week disparately on distancing and all of that it's a nightmare i've never been busier in my life (laughs) I'm like, oh, okay, don't worry about it then. He says, yeah, it's actually so much work that I'm looking for things to do to not have to think about work. I'll tell you what, send over your song. If I have 10 minutes and I like it, I'll try and throw some chords in it, but I'm promising you nothing. And I said, oh, okay, fine. Three days later, he sent me back an MP3 that was a full production. No. It's got strings, it's got drums, it's got backing vocals, it's got the works. And here's why D&D changed my life. Because it was only when I listened to the song played back to me that I realised I had written a song to warn myself to get help. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because... I had generated in, I'd created enough steps of removal or emotional distance that I could write <laughs> that none of us asked to be here. And it's, uh, it, it's okay if life hasn't turned out how you want it to turn out. And it's, it's, some of it will be your fault. It's not just a case of there, there, never mind. It's like, okay, fine. But now, what do you do from here? What do you do to make it better? How, how can you just accept the situation and then move forward to make things better? Which was yeah. what I needed to hear. I needed to hear, get help, <laughs> right? <laughs> and it took this many layers of removal for my own subconscious to shout at me, <laughs> the hammer that you hold with flame and anvil made is neither tool nor weapon at the start. Like, you didn't ask for this. It's okay. Whether to be bold, to love or be afraid is decided as the bellows goad the forge inside your heart. It's about what's happening now. It's about the choices you make 
in those moments, those are the things that will define me. Wow. And I literally sat in the car, listened to a song I had written and realized, oh, that's what this is. Even the, so my name's Rufus. The character I have now by this point been playing for six months is Ruff and shortened to R-U-F-F. So there's me <laughs> playing this character and I'm just so stupidly blind to the fact that I have created an avatar through which to process the fact that my industry disappeared, that my sense of purpose disappeared, that my sense of place disappeared, that my sense of my role in the world disappeared, that my role as a parent had completely shifted and I was not coping with that well. And... Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was that huge. So within a week, I think I, uh, within a couple of weeks, I, I stopped drinking uh, or, uh, pretty much. Um, and uh, I started therapy and did all of this whilst at the same time playing D&D. Uh, and the, char- the, the changes that occurred for Ruff started to be the changes that were occurring for me, Rufus. And understanding that relationship and understanding that it was my subconscious <laughs> literally having to write a song for me to listen to it, um, that began to change things and make things better and make them bearable and make them uh, less, how shall I phrase this, less seemingly fatalistic. Right. Nihilistically right. fatalistic. <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't think I thought that's where that question was going to go. I'm not going to lie. No. <laughs> I think you've got the long I, the record for the longest uh, 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 question that I've said, and then the, the the journey that we just went on. Yeah, for those but, like the most profound and really one of of the more beautiful stories I think that I've I've heard. Greg and I have been doing this podcast for a long time, and a lot of people have great origin stories about how they got into D and D and how D and D has changed their lives, but you're touching your story touches on a lot, but it goes a lot deeper. Like you say that, I mean, if you use the word stupid or stupidly and having, you know, to come to this realization, but there are actual therapists that use D and D in their practice for exactly the same reasons that, that you discovered on your own, because you do have those, those layers, those, you know, you can be removed from your character enough to see things playing out before you that you then, can internalize and, and bring into your own world. And I mean, it, it's, it's a wonderful thing when that happens. And those are some of my favorite stories about it because, you know, this is, it's a game, but it's so much deeper than that. You know, I mean, yeah. from everything, from the, the people that you play with and how those relationships develop to the self-awareness that you get to like, you know, being able to say a phrase like D&D changed my life and yeah. to have that story behind you is pretty incredible well it has felt pretty incredible and as you can imagine has done nothing to dim my uh love of the game although i have subsequently also then tried to um dm for my son and his friends and (laughs) and it's still completely beyond me you'll be delighted to know that (laughs) it may have changed my life there's still some evolution yet to come (laughs) 
That is it. There's still a few more of these episodes that I need to listen to of this podcast of getting uh, DM tips and the like before I, uh, I think I'm going to be up to much. Well, you're in the same boat as Shelly there who yeah. has you know, uh, uh, been wanting to get into dungeon mastering and trying to get past that, 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 that hurdle there. It is a totally different thing. But uh, Hey, you know, can having... I ask you guys... Um, uh, okay. I mean, maybe this doesn't go in the podcast because if you actually answer this honestly, then you're both fired and no one will ever talk to you again. <laughs> so, you know, we can, we can, um, you can plead the fifth on this. My hunch about D&D is that the reason it's as complicated as it is is that the first lot of people that started playing it were all assholes. <laughs> Uh, I mean, maybe not technically assholes. And if there's a, a definition, you know, you'd be like, oh, they hit all the criteria. Um, but it, yeah, I think, I think it came from strategy gaming, right? It came mm-hmm. from war gaming. And so the, the minutiae around combat and how it all gets resolved came from, you know, the idea that they were, you know, they were measuring, you know, the miniatures with the tape measure on how far away they were and that level of, of type of thing. And I think it's really only been in the last, you know, the, the last few decades around Dungeons and Dragons that the amount of role-playing and, and storytelling that can come in improv uh, has really come to the forefront above the the, the mechanics, um, you know, which are still there and still a big part of it. But I think it's been just the, the progression of, you know, uh, the pop culture has, has caught up with Dungeons and Dragons to allow these these more profound moments to come from. I mean, you think of like the simplicity of of like uh, when rock and roll music started, it was very much like, oh, we got two chords and we're ready to go. And then it's evolved to the Beatles and blah, 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 and all these other things. And I think D&D has had a similar trajectory where it started with one thing and has now evolved into something that's, you know, greater than, than uh, uh, the sum of the parts in a way. Yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense, but it just seems to me that so many, so many things that you're like, I want to throw a rock at that guy's head. You're like, okay, you throw a rock at that guy's head, do you hit him? I mean, it could be flip a coin. But instead, it's, well, how far away? I mean, there's a light breeze blowing in your eyes. There's drizzle. And it's like, the rule is there because some DM at some point went, no, you missed him. And some guy flipped the table and went, we need a rule about this. <laughs> Screw you. No, no, I'm not having it, man. That would have hit. No, no, no. So it just seems to me that the rules are there to stop, um, to stop DMs TPKing people if they've had a bad day at work. <laughs> That's well, part of it for sure, but I've yeah. always I always love playing the the you know oh yeah you just roll and find out okay and then make it up like you know the the abjudication of 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 oh you were oh you were twenty seven feet away not twenty six well I guess that doesn't work <laughs> yeah um, yeah for, I, you don't have sorry, to sorry. you don't have to know the rules that's one thing that I have learned and I've learned from the people who write those rules that spend their all day all their days writing rules for D&D and then when I say something like I don't know if I don't want to be a dungeon master too many rules they say don't worry about the rules just make them up you don't have to actually you don't have to use any of those rules so I always thought that was guidelines really yeah like if you (laughs) want to throw a rock at somebody's head or a player throws a rock at somebody's head then you can just just, like just roll a die behind the screen and just be like "Mm, you missed like just make up, <laughs> make it up, you know. So sorry, Shelley, you arguing that despite all of those rules, there are still ways for the DM to be a complete yes. asshole. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. but in an yes. entertaining way. 
<laughs> if it moves the story forward, uh, then yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, yes. if it, it's all about the story, right? <laughs> it's I mean, all about uh, less complicating uh, things for the dungeon master. It says it at the start of the player's handbook. I'm sure it says it at the start of the uh, Dungeon Master's handbook as well, uh, which is simply, if you are playing this game and everyone is having fun, you are doing it right. Yes. And if you are playing yeah. this game and people aren't enjoying it, you are not doing it right. And I, I um, for our one-year stream anniversary that we've just uh, enjoyed, um, the four players each ran um, a session um, of... Uh, role-playing games. Uh, one of them was D&D, but I did a, a one-page um, one page RPG called The Witch is Dead. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a very, very basic system. But as we played the game, the game kind of went, oh, you should play it like this. And that was what was really interesting, was the further we got into the game, the way we were playing it, the engine kind of necessitated change. And it seems to me that all good role-playing games should do that. D&D is a slightly special case because to an extent it is sometimes the specificity of those rules that are actually the making of the of the thing itself like if you're going to cast I mean I'm I'm a barbarian and a paladin so I don't really spend a lot of time doing magic uh, I'm only a I'm a second level paladin now or a third level paladin after a year you guys have only leveled up to level 2 or 3 <laughs> yeah uh, uh, it's a mixed class so I'm uh, six barbarian and two paladin, oh, I think. that makes sense. Um, yeah. Um, sorry, <laughs> now I'm like so panicking in my mind. Like, did it just go up? Did I go up to three? No, I kind of gone up to three. because <laughs> Oh, no, it would have been three because I had to um, pick a... Yeah, so I'm the order of the forge. Yeah, no, so I'm, I must be three. We're level nine. Yeah, that's the sort of thing that goes on in my head, which is why I'm a terrible games master, because there's no, <laughs> there's no filing system in here, just bits, <laughs> random post-it notes. <laughs> right, yeah. it's, like, it's like that Charlie Day from, uh, from uh, It's Always Sunny, yeah. right? It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, that's always happening. Yeah, and, and that's, that is the, the hard part with dungeon mastering, right? It's like you're not just doing improv, you are improving with five other people and keeping track of all that, plus the stuff that you're not telling them. And yeah. uh, it is, it, it can be difficult, if you, especially if you're not a note taker, uh, like I'm not. So I just, I, I go on the other way. And I'm like, Let's just make it up as we go along. And then it becomes No canon. prep. Just make it up. Yeah. <laughs> no prep. So guys, what are we in the mood for? Yeah. Let's Hands for it. dragons. Okay. <laughs> Hands for dungeons. Let's see them. <laughs> I got a new mini. I guess that's what we're fighting. <laughs> Find your inspiration anywhere. <laughs> But yeah. that, I mean, going back to your, like, finding the inspiration to, to create that song and, and, and uh, deal with, with all that stuff, it's, it's, it's something that makes uh, this game special beyond uh, any other ones that I've, I've had involved because you put so much of yourself into it. And especially, you know, with, with the character that you were making, as you were describing, I'm like, well, it's not that far off from, from, from the Rufus that we've, we've come to know over this interview. And then I loved how that kind of all came back into the same thing and being like, well, I learned something about, you know, rough, but I also learned something about me in the telling of that story. And if someone else was playing that exact same character with those exact same stats, they would have a completely different experience. And even with the different people and the person in the chat that said something differently. And so it's all of the moment and I don't think there's another game like that out there. No, I don't think there can be. It's, it's D&D's open-endedness. You know, the, 
D&D asks you to bring stuff to the game. Like you, it, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are other um, role-playing games and what have you that maybe have some element of that. I certainly haven't played enough role-playing games to be able to say, no, definitively d and is the only one that does that. But certainly in terms of games I have played where... Um, uh, for a few years, we had a regular uh, like dad's night, local dad's night, where we'd go to somebody's house, drink too much cheap Spanish brandy and play board games. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, with D&D, it's, your, it's like everyone brings their own bags of like, oh, maybe I'll use this and maybe I'll use that. And uh, these ideas should work. It's been quite interesting um, playing... I, I, uh, recently started playing uh, another role-playing game uh, based on Ghostbusters. It's called Ghostbusters International. It was published in 86, shortly after the first Ghostbusters game was published. And I play that with um, some friends of mine I went to school with, and they're, you know, uh, a video editor, um, a guy who runs his own software company, uh, a guy who writes software. So their mindset is so differently placed than the comedians that I play D&D with. And their route to solve the problem and how they want to solve the problem is completely different. And actually, yeah. the escapism is completely different because um, amongst the comedians, we're all used to off-the-cuff storytelling, whereas my friends who work in software are like, no, no, let's just keep firing proton packs at it. I'm like, guys, guys, <laughs> this is the eighth time you've tried this and nothing is changed. They're like, hit it again! <laughs> and they genuinely don't care how the adventure pans out. They just want to hit, they want to shoot things with proton packs the entire time. And they're having a wonderful time doing so. <laughs> What's that definition of insanity again? <laughs> yeah. yeah, quite, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. How much of a difference was playing with uh, with muggles, as you called them, or, or uh, you know, uh, folks who aren't uh, of the entertainment ilk? Yeah, and that's that is a fascinating difference that I've noticed as well. It's like people who are, um, you know, of the arts or, or or theater performers in any way approach the game very differently than uh, you know the more the more strategy minded games. And I just love that both can find something out of out of this system. Yeah, I um, I. I'm always, I, I find it funny, in truth, when people who have an improv background play D&D because the, the anticipation and the anxiety about playing D&D as the time comes that they're going to play D&D, are like, oh God, you know, I don't even know what the dice are. I just, uh, and I think I miss, and I, I try to read the, and they sit down, they start playing and always within about three minutes, they just go, Oh, hang on a second. <laughs> <laughs> I know what this... Oh, no. Oh, sod off. You've really... You've, you've mugged me off here. You had me convinced this was complicated. I mean, ultimately, playing D&D is only as complicated as the Dungeon Master allows it to be. Like, if you mm-hmm. play with somebody who really does have all of those books in there, then it's amazing. You just feel like you're not doing anything at all, right? Like, you just yeah. roll dice, say numbers, carry on. Uh, it's Just only talk. when you uh, put the boot on the other foot that you go, oh, this is why Paul Foxcroft is as good as he is. is because he's got like whole libraries in his head. So what was it like when you started playing with this group of people that you did not know at all before, a game that you weren't that familiar with yet? Did you have, like, were there any, were the other players more experienced or... 
Did you have any insecurities about role-playing in front of them? I mean, I know you're an actor and a comedian, so maybe not, but what was that like? Um, it was really interesting becoming friends with people by through our mutual pretending to be other people. <laughs> <laughs> pretending to be friends. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, as a theatre actor... You get in a company, you might be touring around, you stay in digs, you spend eight hours a day rehearsing and then, you know, uh, weeks and months together in a show. So I'm used to making friends with people who pretend, but there's something very different about being an adventuring party and that being improv and meeting week after week after week and relying on each other in mm -hmm. that world. Um, so, yeah, so I play with uh, Matt Hyten, Richard Soames and Bryony Redman. And, um, they are all comedians who have uh, done shows at the Edinburgh Festival and across London. Uh, Matt had done stand-up previously. Uh, Rich, a lot of um, sketch comedy. Bryony, a lot of improv. And, you know, that, that, that pot gets stirred pretty much. So I think I'm just saying what I believe their specialisms to be. And if you had them on, they would say, that's not what I do at all. Tonight, <laughs> for example, I found out that Matt wrote for the Beano and I had no idea. And that's huge if you live in this house because I was raised on the Beano and damn sure both of my children were too. Um, <laughs> I don't know what the uh, Beano is. I don't know what that is either. Yeah, okay. I, I wondered if maybe it had international cachet, but I realise it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> normally, I'm never more than a, an arm's reach from a copy of the Beano, but it's basically uh, a comic book with loads of different strips in for kids between the ages of like six and 12. Oh, okay. Uh, I thought Dennis the only Beano I know about was, a, uh, was an old like... D digestive medication, so I'm glad it's not that. Beano? Beano. Uh, one second, hang on. <laughs> yes, it was called Beano. Yeah, I know uh, Beano. Or maybe that was just in the movie The Hudsucker Proxy. No, uh, Beano is a, is a medication that you take before you're going to eat gassy <laughs> foods. That's, <laughs> that's, what, I thought, that's it's what I thought true. I said. Literally. Oh, you've got it right here. Okay, good. Yeah, within seconds of standing, there is a copy of the Beano. That's what the Beano is. It is oh, the Beano. Okay. That's awesome. And um, uh, the main character in the Beano is a kid called Dennis the Menace. Oh, I, mean, I know Dennis the Menace. Okay, fine. I didn't in know fact, this is where Dennis the Menace came from. Uh, well, there was a Dennis the Menace in, the, in America who looks oh. different to... Our Dennis the Menace. That's our Dennis the Menace. Oh, there. yeah, that's not oh, our yeah, Dennis very the Menace. Different. Now, would you like to know a really fun... I mean, this is... We're not talking about D&D &D now at all, but would you like yeah, to know a fun fact story. about Dennis the Menace? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I'm just going to see if in this strip there is a picture of Walter the Softy. There is not. Hey, look at this. Oh, this is like the perfect thing I could pull up. So, <laughs> this is an advertisement, right? So, yeah. that's Dennis the Menace as he was drawn when he was first drawn. And then when I grew up with him, he looked like that. Uh, and then like that after I uh, just stopped reading the Beano. And then they had him look like that for a while. You know, but, I mean, it's all it's kind of the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. Right, but the, well, the going through the different eras, right? Yeah. Yeah. In this era of Dennis the Menace, which is when I was reading it, the whole point of Dennis the Menace was that next door to him lived a kid called Walter the Softy. So Walter the Softy is like a real namby-pamby boy. And Dennis is not standing for that. So he just apparently is terrorizing Walter the Softy, uh, throwing water bombs at him, stink bombs, just hijinks of one form or another. Well, that was in 1980. 
four or five, right? Like right. times have changed. We can't sounds like heroize bullying. a bully. So I said to my son uh, a, a little while ago, like, let me look at this. And Walter the softy now is this like perfect kid who the teachers all love and the parents all think he's wonderful. And then when they're not looking, is quietly having a go at Dennis. And so Dennis gets to get his revenge on Walter. So now we're not... So actually Walter's become the bully and Dennis is kind of just like your average kid just trying to get on in the world, menacing the world at large. But this is Dennis's dad. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yes. Dennis's dad is the Dennis from my generation. Oh. So I didn't know this, but at some point they switched. Dennis's dad used to look uh, a lot more like the teacher in the Bash Street Kids. Let me see if I can find. <laughs> so the Dennis today is really Dennis Jr.? Yeah. It's kind of so like that's Daniel the teacher Tiger. from the Bash Street Kids. Okay. There. Okay. Dennis's dad always looked a lot more like that. Um, and a, a couple of years ago, they decided to switch it so that when Dennis's dad is telling Dennis off, Dennis knows that his dad was way worse than he was. <laughs> He's got the books to prove it. <laughs> so now Dennis can menace his own dad, justified, not for being a little shit, <laughs> but just um, because, you know, karma is a bitch. <laughs> yeah. And your, and your son is going to be, uh, you know... Better than you, I guess. I don't know. Or at least aware of the fact that his dad is not necessarily uh, Walter the Softy so much as he is a far worse Dennis the Menace. The the yes. funny thing, just to bring this back to D&D, because it's started to occur to me, the way you were describing this is kind of how the game has gone through additions and changed and altered and and... You know, the folks who were playing in the, the 70s and 80s had a very different experience than what is, is happening now. And, uh, you know, we're constantly grappling with that as well as, like, making sure that the the game is appealing to the most number of people. And, you know, I think throughout this entire interview, we've tried to figure out, like, oh, man, like, this is why it is appealing is because it does shift and change and, and, and become uh, emblematic of the times, just like Bino. Uh, yeah, absolutely <laughs> yeah. right. I mean... Bino, Bino is an absolute mainstay of uh, British culture. You know, um, by this point, yeah, I think it's it's 60 plus years. I mean, that thing of Dennis through the ages that I just showed you probably says on it somewhere when the original, but I, I think it's true to say that my dad could have bought a copy of the Bino. Um, I yeah. bought a copy of the Bino and then my son bought a copy of the Bino. Like, that's, just like D&D. Generational. Yeah, quite so. Uh, how you, I mean, just for the number of people that learn how jokes work, you know, they're all terrible kid jokes. But I you learn how kind. jokes work. Why yeah. did the tailor go to the doctor? Why? He had pins and needles. <laughs> I mean, I did this say This is kind of like Highlights magazine. It, it totally reminded me of similar. that. similar, yeah. Why does a hummingbird hum? Why? Because they can't he doesn't sing. know the words. Oh. Oh. Sorry, Shelley, I cut across I, you there, were you? I, no, I, I always I always try to like, you know, ruin jokes by guessing the 
very good. <laughs> I Come actually to my don't. comedy show. I actually don't. I don't. I don't do that at all. Actually, please yell out the punchline before. Uh, <laughs> it's I get terribly to it. annoying. No. Uh, well, that's awesome, and I, I I I love that the generations have continued to embrace uh, Bino as well as like D and D over time, and like playing with your son and and, and his uh, friends. Like they're going to come up and and remember that time, and then you know who knows in twenty years, you know your son will have that same experience with his kids and 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 do it all. And that's that's kind of amazing that this this uh, culture continues to reinvent itself as well as teaching the people who are playing it about themselves through mm-hmm. play. Um, it does seem to me to be some sort of witchcraft, which yeah. when you consider the panic in the 70s and 80s about D&D. Uh, <laughs> it's and like, you see how it changed, right? Well, yeah. I, it just really makes me laugh that the irony of that is that they were all worried about Satanism. And yet, I think it does have magic in it. <laughs> but that magic is like reparative and recuperative. Mm-hmm. It's like the thing you're worried about is it's the opposite of what this game actually does yeah. for you and to you. It's actually helping people. Well, yeah. it does. You I mean, we're all the, wrong. Uh, yeah. Maybe the real Dungeons and Dragons were the dungeons we dragoned along the way. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> New tagline. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, love it. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely been something that I, having enjoyed and played now, um. I have spent, I mean, look, now that I've played D&D, I still know that I can't fully get my head around the rules of uh, DMing uh, a proper D&D game. I don't think, I, I don't think necessarily I never will. I just don't feel ready for that yet, which is why I'm playing Ghostbusters with my friends because it's a much more simple game. Mm. Um, but... I think my experience of playing D&D and how useful and, and in, I mean, exciting, enjoyable, all of those good, positive... I'm just very aware. I don't want to make this all sound too worthy. Like, you should only play D&D as a therapeutic exercise. It's stupid. It's funny. Uh, I largely play it drunk. Um, <laughs> and it's about getting together and, like, yeah. you know, having that camaraderie. Yeah. But when the you're in with outlet. the distance... Sorry, Shelley. No, I go. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> the joy of all of those things and the joy of playing D&D is its own reward. But on top of that, it can also do some really unexpected, wonderful things. And so because that has been my experience, I've tried to encourage as many people as I know who I think might get a kick out of it to at least, you know, have a go, roll a dice, tell a story. Because I think it's uh, it really is a, a force for good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's what we've been saying along on this this podcast forever. Is that you know, and meeting all these different folks who have had different experiences uh, throughout it, you know, uh, has been enlightening. And it's funny how when you were talking about how you wanted to play it for years, like that was actually similar to me. And bringing also the satanic panic, you know, was a the reason why I couldn't was because my my parents were just, eh, I don't know if that's something you could do. And it wasn't until I became an adult, and, and in some ways, it was, it was like uh, becoming an adult was the choice to be able to be like, hey, I can make my own choices about what I play and do in my own time. You're not, you know, that old thinking is kind of uh, washed away, and you know, you you had a version of that as well, and I think that's amazing that uh he you know crossed the pond and and you know uh 
completely different experiences, but can have also something that's very shared. And, uh, you know, amongst all the, the years that we've been doing this podcast, we get shades of this story from, from everyone. And it's, it's really amazing. And I agree with you that it is a force for good in general. Um, also, Greg, I'd just like to say that I really enjoy uh, that that last <laughs> that last sentence because you largely just said, um, you know, part of becoming a grown up was. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, part of a part of becoming a grown up was you were like, I'm a grown up now. If you need me, I'll be in my room playing D and D. You can't tell me what to do. I'm going to roll yeah, this dice. I'm, I'm a grown do up now, so I'm going to pretend to be a hero. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if I can play D and D. Yeah. Yep. Seventeen. <sighs> Take that. <laughs> you just played. It's amazing. Uh, the rock missed. <laughs> that's exactly my same story too, except not D&D, but it, instead getting a dog. Because that's the thing I couldn't do because my parents said no as a child. Uh, what and kind I of had, dog do you have, Shelley? Uh, now I have a, a pit bull mutt. Oh, lovely. Yes. I just, I like, oh, he's moving around behind me. Yeah. But His same, ears were burning. Same thing. Yeah. I believe I was called for. <laughs> <laughs> you said old mutt. Um, we would be remiss if we did not ask about something else that you're probably very, very well known for across the pond. Sure. But you were a contestant on Dancing on Ice. I was. It is not a funny story. Then <laughs> um, <laughs> skip it. No, um, I imagine Dancing on Ice is probably like our version or Dancing with the Stars, except on ice, which well, just makes it infinitely harder. It is infinitely harder. That's certainly true. It's um, So Dancing with the Stars mm-hmm. is the international version of a British TV show called Strictly Come Dancing. Okay. Um, in the 50s, one of the first TV shows that was a staple of British television was called Come Dancing, uh, because ballroom dancing was massive in this country for a long time. And then um, Baz Luhrmann made a movie called Strictly Ballroom. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Great movie. And so uh, the BBC, a number of years ago, decided to take the Strictly, which was all about new moves, new steps from Strictly Ballroom, and come dancing and have uh, Strictly come dancing as a kind of competition show, which was meant to be filler over the summer and would disappear and never be heard of again. I think that was 18 years ago that started, and it remains basically the highest-rated entertainment show on British television. ITV who are not the BBC, <laughs> said, hey, we want in on that sweet, sweet celebrity ice dancing dollar. Uh, oh, sorry, sweet, sweet celebrity <laughs> dancing dollar. Uh, what can we do to make it different enough but largely the same? I know, let's put it on ice. And it turns out that is not necessarily a good idea because it is really hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that show has run on and off for, uh, I think, 16 years or something, or 13 years, uh, the ice dancing one. Um, it is really hard. I did three months training uh, before the start of the show of like five days a week, going to an oh. ice rink and learning how to ice dance or ice skate. It wasn't something that I knew how to do before. Um, I was meant to be in the second week after the, la- the launch was a two-week kind of deal. So week one launch, week two launch. And now those are all our contestants. And so now let's see where they go. In the middle of a pandemic, 
they moved me from week two to week one with a few days notice. Um, Oops. I did a thing where I got, a, I got like the judges pat on the back of like, just go straight through to the next round, which was very nice. And then two days later, came into contact with somebody who had had COVID. Oh, so no. I had to go into lockdown. While I was in lockdown, I did a test and it turned out I had come into contact with somebody and caught it from them. So then I was uh, in quarantine for 10 days, uh, strictly 10 days. I was actually in quarantine for close to two weeks, but that was uh, what I then did. And then they gave me another test. And even though I wasn't contagious, you still test positive for coronavirus, right? So uh, that was me done. I literally did three months training, day in, day out, got brought forward by a week, did one ice dance, and then was off the show. Oh, no. Not before, just for, uh, just to explain this to you, <laughs> that you, you might get something out of it. Um, I, I'm quite political as a person. I mean, I'm realising the jumper probably tells you that. Um, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> But it's just in me. Like, I just think about that stuff a lot. So I win this golden ticket on a family ice dancing show. <laughs> and the host says, uh, I bet you weren't expecting this, were you? And I'm like, Phil, I, had, I didn't even want to do this. Were it not for the pandemic, I would be nowhere near an ice rink. I literally just signed up to do this for the money. Here I am now winning your golden ticket. Like, this is crazy, but like, fantastic. I can't thank Robin enough. And he says to me, oh, I, can, I sense you're almost crying there. And I'm like, mate, it's just everything here seems mad. I don't know what to tell you. You know, this last year has been hard on everyone, but like, thanks very much. And he goes, yeah, because I bet when you signed up to do that, and he's like, asked me the same question three times, right? <laughs> At which point, without a plan in my head or an idea in my head, I said, Phil, the people we elect vote against feeding hungry children. This oh. is the least mad thing that's happened to me in a long time. Wow. Now, what is a fact, right? Without letting D&D get super political, is a fact is that the governing party in this country, the Conservative Party, lobbied its members, in other words, whipped them up into shape to vote against a bill that would have meant uh, an extension of a program that fed the hungriest children in this country. They whipped their members to do it. It wasn't a free vote. It wasn't like, you know, vote with your conscience. They told their representatives vote against this. And because they are the largest party in our parliament, that will just, whatever they vote for, that'll go. So me saying the people we elect vote against feeding hungry children absolutely is political, but it, it isn't. <laughs> and therefore, they're all Satanists, and therefore, they should all go to hell. It was literal a statement of fact. But from that point onwards, the right-wing press in this country literally sent people to follow me round, uh, knock on my uh, my ex-in-law's door, um, just kick the shit out of me in the press every day for about two weeks, just saying, you know, look at this guy. Uh, what an awful human being to make a family entertainment show so political. <laughs> that whole idea about things not being political, mm -hmm. you know, oh, you should just keep out of it. I mean, it's something that's just, it, it makes me irate because our entire lives are political you know, even 
I mean, not to do the thing where I'm bringing it back to D&D constantly, but like, you know, Dungeons and Dragons is framed usually around like, you know, destroying tyranny and fighting yeah. for, you know, human rights and, and elf rights and dwarf rights, right? And all the rights of all the world, right? And so like, you, you can't, you can't say like D&D is not political either. You can't say life is not political. Oh, you should stick out of that. So Man, good for you for 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 sticking up for. Well, it wasn't even like you having a no, plan to stick it. up for it. But <laughs> it would be lovely to paint myself as a new Che Guevara, but it was literally <laughs> I, I'd just done a silly ice dance, was slightly overcome, and then we had to go like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, like because we live in a world where this thing's happening. Yeah, you know? I mean, yeah, you guys you were just stating the facts of, the of where the votes went. Has, that's not sorry. opinion at all. Yeah, yeah, that's you were just you were just stating what was happening. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, this culture war stuff has seen, you know, your capital building, uh, you know, um, overwhelmed, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's all part of the same thing. It's the people who have won are being convinced by the people who can make money out of their fear that they're the victims in all of this. It's like, but you've won. (laughs) You know, the the people in this country who are like, oh, lefty, whinging, Ramonas. Well, we lost the Brexit vote. We lost the general election where we would have put people in power who I think probably would have voted in favour of feeding hungry children. <laughs> you know, we, we are, it's our side that keeps losing. So why is your press and your papers telling you all the time that you're the real victims in all of this and you're being shut down and you're being cancelled and you're being excluded? It's, you're, you're the ones winning. Right. Well, unfortunately, it's probably because they're taking cues from... Yeah. Something that's happening here. So I apologize. For, uh, for, well, I, I, I'm going to hold you to blame personally, Craig. So I'm glad <laughs> yeah. As long as you also hold Told me to blame stuff. personally for, for introducing D&D into your life, then I'll, I'll be happy with that. It's a if wash. people ask, I'll claim to have never met Paul Foxcroft. <laughs> I was the guy at that, at that wedding. It was all Tito, baby. Greg Tito's <laughs> the one that gave you that hammer. Don't you forget yeah. it. <laughs> well, congratulations on you know uh, uh, the the stream anniversary that you had. I yeah. mean, I think that's amazing that Paul has had all of you guys together for an entire year and keeping that that going. That is something to celebrate uh, for sure. Oh well, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm. I, I uh, got asked by your producer, like, what are you here to promote? And I had to say to her, nothing. Like, <laughs> everything I did for a living disappeared a year ago. I got nothing in the pipeline. I got nothing coming up. My life is over. I'm doing this, basically, so there's a record of this having happened before I starve to death. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> You're going to have to call up that your, your friend who's a chef and ask for yes. some, <laughs> yeah, yeah. some scraps. Yeah, on the line. <laughs> um, yeah, but... Um, but I did say to Paul, I'm, uh, I'm going to be on the official D&D podcast. And he, he said to me, oh, be, make sure you direct people towards the Twitch channel uh, because um, our adventure has been uh, what we now refer to as the BFC, the Best Friends Club, um, is what we have become. Yeah, we are not your usual D&D party. Once we actually made a few quid by killing, by killing some pretty serious monsters, we set up an outreach program in the town we're from and converted a theatre into a place where we could um, uh, provide um, social like support for anybody who's uh, who was affected as the result of our adventures. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. So they were like kids that were orphaned when we exploded a tree. So now they're all taken care of, and we roped in other people from the town we're in 
to um, like do training programs for young people and all sorts. That's, That's awesome. uh, so we're the best friends club. Um, but um, go for BFC. Is, yep. Yeah, go the BFC. Um, and Paul is uh, going to be producing uh, more specifically D and D content um, from the end of April onwards, um, as well as keeping the BFC on the road to Boulder's Gate. Ooh. Excellent. Ooh, Gonna have wait. some fun there. Yeah, after going from Apparently from so. Sigal <laughs> to to you figured out what plane you were from and got back, and now you're going to Baldur's Gate. I love it. Yeah, what was uh, he's actually? I mean, Paul is a phenomenal dungeon master. Honestly, yeah, he's great. Um, he uh, there was <laughs> there was a moment where we ended up in. Um, now I know it's. Oh God, what's it called? I want to say Athenium. It's not Athenium, but it's not Hell. Oh, uh, Avernus. Avernus, thank you. We ended up in Avernus, and Paul described it to us as looking a bit like Mad Max Fury Road. Like that's the that's how it looked. That was the end of the episode when we got there, and then the following week he planned out an entire thing where we basically did Mad Max Fury Road, jumping across different Hell vehicles. Nice, but. Stirred into that Mario Kart. <laughs> so, <laughs> things that, uh, chests that people had left behind that were just hovering in midair. And if we smashed into them with these vehicles, we could be uh, huge or tiny or be able to throw fireballs and things. Drop a banana peel behind you. Yeah. Uh, literally. That's my signature that's, move. <laughs> that's what happened. Um, so, yeah, the, the imagination, the invention. Uh, of that man and and like I say the joy of playing that game the escapism during the pandemic I just feel like I, I owe him a lot well we owe him a lot uh, as well so definitely go check out Questing Time uh, that's that's the name of the Twitch channel that people can uh, go to yep Questing Time and um, we play on Wednesday nights here I don't know what the time difference is but I think we are hosted on the official D&D channel mm-hmm. uh, on Wednesdays so uh if, if that's all you have on in the background, who knows? You may even have seen us. <laughs> Excellent. And how can people uh, follow you on Twitter and, and uh, you know, uh, perhaps share their stories with you? Uh, please do. It's at Rufus Hound. Easy. I love it. Yeah, Very got funny. in early. It, it, <laughs> it reminds me of um, one of my um, uh, friends. When I used to do stand-up, I had a friend who had a great joke. He said uh, he would flirt with a woman in the front row for a little while. And he said, uh, let me give you my mobile number. Uh, let me give you my cell phone number. It's 07. That's it. I was one of the first to get one. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it with Twitter, too, when you're like, hey, I got, you know, it's, uh, yep. it's spicy is no my Twitter handle. No underscore there. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Straight up, baby. Thanks so much for coming on and 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 sharing your story. It's amazing. I'm glad yes. there is a record of it. Uh, I'm going to be <laughs> listening to it and 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 tearing it up and and also uh, you know uh, sharing this with as many folks as I can because I, yeah. it's a wonderful story. It is. Man, I so am ecstatically uh, a fan of Rufus Hound and Questing Time now. I cannot wait to. Uh, just go binge every episode of Questing Time and just learn everything I can about Rough the Night rough and the all night. of his friends. Yeah, what, the what Rough a, Night. Oh, that was so good. 
I know, I know. And he was gracious enough after uh, the interview to share the MP3 of the song mm-hmm. that he wrote and that his amazing friend recorded. So uh, we're going to give you this special treat right now and listen to that song. You guys want to hear it? Yes. All right, press play.
The story now, it's like the lyrics are even more powerful. And I exactly. do feel like they will resonate with everybody. We've all been we've all been through it. We have talked about how musicals make me cry. And uh this it's, I mean that story was amazing, but as soon as you hear you're right, that the, the song and the and the musicality behind it, meh, waterworks. I feel like that his story could be like not maybe like a moth reading or not like mm. a TED talk, but like some like I want to see it on hear that story again on stage. It was so powerful because like all good stories, you're laughing, you're like nodding along, like, oh, mm, I get it. It's so great. And then it turns really poignant and powerful. And you realize, wow, I think for a lot of people, they don't realize how much of an impact this game can have on you. Yeah. Yeah, especially if you open your yourself up and become yeah. vulnerable and, and 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 share that parts of of your character with your your character. I mean, we've all we've talked about this so many times about how you know RPGs and D and D provide the safe space to experiment with uh, different identities. And and Rufus was doing exactly the same thing with the Rough Knight before he even realized that he was doing it. And that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He wrote a song. A beautiful, beautiful song. That my subconscious doesn't um, leave me messages in quite such a creative, beautiful way. It's <laughs> more just like, I don't know. I don't have anything good. They're not songs, but I can tell you that. Maybe maybe it just hasn't happened yet, Shelley. Maybe it, your subconscious is uh, talking to you right now through this yeah, podcast. Yeah, it's, it's saying, you should eat a bag of M&M's. Eat a sandwich. <laughs> M&M you should eat your son's Easter candy. With Nutella instead of mayonnaise. Put Nutella on the chocolate bunny and eat it. <laughs> Quinn will never notice it's gone. Doesn't mm. quite have the same uh, profundity, uh, profundity? Like profundity that uh, Rufus's did. Doesn't even rhyme. I mean, come <laughs> on. <laughs> what rhymes with Nutella? You will uh, smell her. <laughs> but smell her. <laughs> <laughs> I am the butt smeller of word of Gut sweller, butt <laughs> sweller. <laughs> you definitely have to watch the video of uh, this interview with Rufus Hound uh, if you're able to because he did share his uh, profile. Oh, yes. And there's a lot of visual uh, jokes as well as show and tell for Bino, which I had no idea about. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. We've been missing out, man. I know. Well, that's, we're, we're, we're multicultural here on the... Dungeons Dragons podcast. If you want to find out anything more about D&D, how to get started, uh, as, as you heard from Rufus, it's sometimes uh, difficult to take that first plunge, but there's lots of ways to do so. An easy one is to check out DungeonsandDragons.com or download Dragon Plus to your phone and find out about what's coming up as well as tons of free resources like maps and adventures uh, and things like that on Dragon Plus. You can access that on DragonMag.com. 
And of course, follow D&D uh, at Wizards underscore D&D on Twitter, Instagram, all of the fun places where people congregate online. Mm-hmm. And congregating online very soon is a new virtual play weekend. Oh, uh, yes. That is a great way for you to jump in, find some people to play with uh, if you're new to the game, and uh, continue along with uh, some Adventurers League storylines that are going on right now. Yeah, and if you don't have people to play with, if you wanted to learn how to play or just jump into a group, that's a great place to do it, too. You, you Dungeon Masters are already provided. Dungeon Masters standing by, basically. <laughs> oh, my gosh, we need to start like a hotline. Like, yes. You want to you play D&D? Just dial can, in. Do you want to play more D&D? Have you always wanted to learn? Play D&D. We've got Dungeon Master standing by right now. <laughs> it's $5 a minute, and uh, for every additional minute, oh, yeah. it's 347 pounds. Totally worth it. Totally worth it. Also, yeah. for your Dungeons & Dragons uh, news, you can also uh, sign up to receive the D&D newsletter. And you can do that yeah. right by just going right to uh, DungeonsAndDragons.com, and there will be a sign-up button there, and we'll just bring the news to you. You don't even have to go anywhere. Don't go searching for it. Just let us bring it right to you. Delivering hot, fresh D&D news right yep. out of the oven into your inbox. Yeah. And cool, um, you might, you know, get some special promotions for being a D&D newsletter subscriber. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. You can follow me. I'm at Greg Tito on Twitter or at Greg underscore Tito on the Instagrams. And Shelly... Do you, mm-hmm. do you want to, are you going to tout your new Instagram here? Should I? Yeah, why not? Okay. Well, you can find me on Twitter at Shelly Moo or even on Instagram at Shelly Moo. But I have a new Instagram, like new as of this afternoon. And you should follow me there because I have seven followers. Um, and it is two, as in T-W-O, old moms. And that is me. I'm one of the two old moms. And my best friend from high school is the other old mom. And this is where we're just, it's just going to be funny parenting stuff. And maybe even eventually a podcast one day. She's actually a a doctor. She's a psychologist. So she might actually be able to like provide more relevant um, stuff than me. I just like to post things out of um, catalogs that I get for women who are like post-menopause, which I don't know how I ended up on that list. I am not that old. I am an old (laughs) mom, but I am not that old. But I did just get that catalog in the mail, and that was kind of the impetus for why I'm like, I need to just embrace this this old mom thing. So I will notice if you start following me, because I have seven followers right now. (laughs) So please um, follow two old moms on Instagram as well. Let's get it to 10 followers. If By then, next week I can be up at 10, I will be so excited. I mean, I'll probably check. be trending. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll get DMs from everyone being like, do you want to collab on this project? Hey, old mom. Hey, old mom. Hey, old mom. <laughs> yeah, it's good <good> <laughs> Too real. Uh, so <laughs> follow all of us on all of those places. Uh, and by listening as far as you have on this podcast, you are probably following along with the adventures of Drunky Two-Shoes. As she is in the city of Waterdeep, having found her brother Daryl uh, and been swiftly sworn in to the Harpers by Mert the Moneylender. They are going to a, another location in the North Ward. But God, their pockets picked, ran down an alley, and there were three hooded figures that were short, uh, 
street urchins, or at least pretending to be, one of them transformed into an exact replica of Daryl Two Shoes, and Daryl was right behind Drunky, and uh, it is an attack mode. I believe you had tried to run up and stab. I did. I was. I think I clawed. Oh, did I? Oh, no, I don't remember. But I will tell you, I I found um, Drunky's actual character sheet. Oh, good. (laughs) So I'm going to use my paper character sheet today. All right. Uh, So uh, the hooded figure who now looks like your brother uh, snarls, and he he, uh, uh, dodged from your attack, and he is about to attack back. Uh Uh-oh. Does a 16 hit your armor class? Yes. Uh, you take uh, seven points of piercing damage as a short sword flashes out. Wait, I'm sorry, uh, how much? Seven. Oh, I said seventeen. Nope, <laughs> whoa, just seven. Whoa, whoa. And okay. uh, as as the you know he draws the short sword uh, kind of quickly, and you see like in the, in the twisting of his uh, torso, um, an amulet uh, kind of comes out of his shirt, uh, and you're able to to kind of see it. Can I reach out and grab it? Yes. Um, I also have feline agility, so I get to double my my movement. Okay. But can I? So can I reach out to try to grab that amulet and then like spin away? Yeah, absolutely. Make me an uh, attack roll, please. What am I attacking with? You do uh, just a um, unarmed strike if you can. Oh no. Oh no, that's a uh, fifteen. Fifteen. Okay, mm-hmm. good. Uh, so yeah, you you uh, after you get stabbed and you see this amulet, it's now your turn, and you grab this amulet uh, and you have it in your hand. Uh, it's still around uh, the creature's neck. Pull. What do you want to do? Pull. You want to yank it? Yeah. Okay, make me a strength check. I rolled the one. You rolled the one. <laughs> okay. Uh, so you pull on uh, the amulet as hard as you can, and it just doesn't budge. Like he gives like maybe an inch or two, but he's like, and he and uh, you hear a voice come out of it. it. Says, "Give me that," and it doesn't sound anything like Daryl at all. And, Did it come out uh, of that that the doppelganger? Yeah, the Daryl that's in front of you. Oh, geez. Um, and uh, the uh, actual Daryl uh, comes up, and as you guys are kind of pulling on this this thing, uh, he takes his sword and uh, attempts to cut the cord. Yes. Good job, Daryl. And he does. Uh, and the two of you <laughs> kind of uh, split because you were pulling as hard as you could, uh, and uh, both of you fall down in the alley and Daryl's there and he grabs the amulet. Let's go, Daryl! I pull him up and we try to run. We'll pick it up there as you guys try to run out of this alley. Woo! Excellent. Fun! Adventures continue. We'll see what happens and what this amulet actually looks like next time. I can't wait. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Do you love that I'm rolling with my Swarovski die? Yes, I love, I can tell by the sound of your die that's a Swarovski. (laughs)